If you were here with us last week, you know that we started uh, this series in Elijah uh, last week, and, and we're going to be camped out here looking at the life of Elijah and really focusing on, on this, this prophet that God called and what made Elijah so unique and special. And, and, and the really thing that we want to focus on is, is really Elijah was, was a really a man of, of humility. Uh, he was God's humble hero. And, and if it, it, this morning we're going to look at the life of Elijah. We're going to look at how God equips Elijah in these, in these seven verses in 1 Kings 17. And, and last, last week we focused on verse 1 and spent all, all, all last week focusing on verse 1. And, and we talked about um, what was happening in verse 1. Basically a nobody from nowhere uh, courageously confronts the king. And we talked about how Elijah was was this rough and tumble guy from the middle of nowhere, and God gets a hold of him and says, you need to go to the king. You need to go confront the king about his idolatry and, 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 and his sin. And, and we see Elijah listens. And God specializes in using nobodies to do great things. And, and, and we talked about that last week. And, and as we were... Uh, as this week unfolded, I watched this whole idea of God specializes in, in using nobodies from nowhere to do great things. And it happened in the sporting world this past week. And I don't know if you follow sports or, or like sports or like the NBA, but uh, if you are a fan of the NBA, then this week you probably got Lynn Sanity. Uh, Jeremy Lynn, a uh, second-year guard from Harvard. Now, you know, all know that Harvard produces a lot of great NBA players. As a matter of fact, I watched this week, I watched SportsCenter, and they, had, they, they showed a graphic on the screen, the amount of presidents that came from Harvard and the amount of NBA players that came from Harvard. Which do you think was more? It was presidents. But, but Jeremy Lin is, is a, it was a player that graduated from Harvard two years ago, and last year he bounced around the NBA, and this year he, he kind of caught on with the New York Knicks. And, and, and the New York Knicks had two superstars, Amari Stoudemire and Carmelo Anthony. And, and, and if you know anything about sports, uh, you know that Carmelo's hurt and Amari's family, uh, his brother died and he was away. And this, this dream season for the Knicks wasn't too dreamy. They weren't playing real well. They were, they were doing terrible. They were out of the playoff picture and these two superstars were hurt. And, and three weeks ago, uh, they had this kid named Jeremy Lin who they even sent to the D-League. Uh, they didn't think he was a player. But then all these injuries happened, so they decided to call him up. And four games ago, he started to start for the New York Knicks. And then something miraculous happens. This kid from Harvard starts playing basketball like, like he was born to do this. And he leads the Knicks on a, on a, on a five-game win streak. And, and so I, I was hearing about Jeremy Lin, and, and, and it was all week. And so I thought, well, I, I need to check this out. So Zachary and I on Friday night tuned in, watched the Knicks versus the Lakers. Jeremy Lin versus Kobe Bryant. Uh, the, Kobe Bryant, the, the, the multi-championship uh, MVP of finals against Jeremy Lin, and Jeremy Lin outplayed him. And Madison Square Garden was going crazy. And, 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 and everybody loves Lynn's sanity. And they love the story because he came out of nowhere. He was a nobody that came out of nowhere 
to, to do great things on the basketball court. You know what the great thing about Jeremy Lin is? I found a, an interview with him on the Gospel Coalition this morning. Jeremy Lin's a believer. He, he is a believer. And this is what he said in his article about just being a believer and being a basketball player. When you're called to be a Christian, you're automatically called to be different from everybody else. In today's world of basketball, it makes you really different because the things that society values aren't, necessary, aren't necessarily in line with what God wants. Much of it comes down to humility. We as Christians are called to be humble, and if we really understand the gospel, we will be humble. We should be humble and understand that everything that is good comes from God. What a great platform for Jeremy Lin to have. I mean, everyone loves this story. And God used this nobody from Harvard to, to play in the, uh, the biggest arena, Madison Square Garden, the world-famous arena, and he outdueled one of the best players in the world. And I watched the interview after the game, and he wanted to give all glory and credit to God. What a humble hero. And I said, we need more humble heroes. We need more Elijahs last week. And, and this week we're going to continue to look at Elijah. And we're going to continue to look at the, this unusual plan that God has. And if you have your Bibles want to turn to 1 Kings 17, we're going to be camped out there um, uh, this, this, this morning. And, and we're just going to look at uh, God's unusual plan for this man called Elijah. We started it last week and said this nobody from nowhere confronts the king. And we're going to continue it this morning. And we're going to look at, at what God calls Elijah to do next. He called him to go to the palace and confront the king. Now, what's next? And in verses 2 and 3, in Elijah chapter 17, I mean, in, in 1 Kings 17, we see this. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Leave here, meaning the palace. Turn eastward and hide in the Cherith Ravine, east of the Jordan. And so we see this unusual plan is unraveling, and God tells a prophet to hide in Kareth. God tells a prophet to hide in Kareth. The surprising of nature, nature of God's plan continues to unravel. This isn't how we dreamed it would be, right? God called this guy out of the middle of nowhere, and, and he came before the king to confront the king. And the most logical plan would be what? Keep him in the king's face, right? Keep Elijah right there in the palace so that, that God could use him as a persistent prod, pressing the king to repentance, so that God could be there and, 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 and use Elijah in, in, in the palace and in the court to help Ahab realize the error of his ways, to help Ahab realize his sin. After all, think about the rest of Ahab's advisors. No one was as wise or as courageous or, or, or as willing to, to step up and tell the king, you know what, you're wrong. Only Elijah did that. Only Elijah did that. So it made perfect sense to leave Elijah in the court, didn't it? Uh, constantly communicating to the king that you need to change. That's what we would have do, right? That, that, that's how our plan would have unraveled, but so much for logic. Because God's plans and our plans are sometimes totally different. And usually God's plans are full of mystery and amazement. Uh, they don't kind of go according to, to our plans. And, and God could have left Elijah toe-to-toe -to -toe with King Ahab in the courts there, just constantly communicating to him. But that was not God's plan. It wasn't God's plan. Instead, God had another plan for Elijah, and it first started with his life. It first started in the life of Elijah. You know, he, he comes on the scene, and now 
God says it's time for you to leave. Because we have work to do, Elijah, and it's in your own life. It's in your own life that we need to work on. He had things he wished to accomplish deep within the servant's heart. Things that would prepare Elijah for the difficult circumstances that he, might, that he will face in the future. Those circumstances, those difficult things that a, that a less obedient, less committed, less prepared prophet might not be willing to face. And so God, we see God tells Elijah to leave because there's some things that we need to work on, Elijah. You're not there yet. So immediately God tells Elijah to go away from the palace and find a place of isolation, a place hidden from everyone where he would not only be protected from physical danger, but God would prepare him for a greater mission, for, uh, for, the, for the godly hero to be uh, a use, a useful as an instrument of significance in the Lord's hand, he must be humbled and forced to trust. He must, in other words, be cut down to size. I, I like that statement. Uh, this is the reason why God wanted him to leave, and I'll read that again. For the godly hero to be useful as an instrument of significance in the Lord's hand, he must be humbled and forced to trust. He must, in other words, be cut down to size. God wanted Elijah to leave the palace because he wanted to work on Elijah's life. He wanted to cut him down to size. And in the midst of that, of that experience in the wilderness, God was going to protect him and God was going to prepare him. That's why Elijah had to leave. And he sends him to this place called Cherith. This, this place called Cherith. Elijah comes from nowhere, out of nowhere, and God sends him. To the middle of nowhere. It's a place called Cherith, and, and often Old Testament places are given names with significance, and the same is true with here in Cherith. Cherith has a, has a very special meaning, uh, and, and we can't identify Cherith and, and the brook at Cherith. We don't exactly know where it is, and isn't that, isn't that uh, uh, funny because Elijah comes from Tishbite, Tishbe, the town of Tishbe, and we don't know where that is today, and he sends him to Cherith, uh, the brook uh, Cherith, and we don't know where that is today. But Cherith was given uh, the name Cherith, which means to cut off or to cut down. God, exactly, God knew exactly where he was sending Elijah, and he knew why he was sending him there. He told Elijah, I need to cut you off and cut you down. We have some work that we need to do in your life, Elijah. You may have just confronted the king, but don't get ahead of yourself. Don't, don't get a big ego. Don't get a big head. We have some work that we need to do in your life. And so while at Cherith, Elijah, the man who was God's spokesman, who stood in front of the most powerful man in the, in the world, would be cut off from all the people and all the activities that he enjoyed and found security in. He'd be cut off from all of those things that was familiar to him, that, that he found security in. And at the same time, he would be cut down to size. God would cut him down to size, and he used an uncomfortable situation to force this process, to force Elijah to trust God for each day. God had work to do in Elijah's life, and that's why he sent him away. And so we see that uh, that, that this, this story unfolds, and, and God tells Elijah, you need to go to Cherith. 
And now let's look at this experience in Cherith. I mean, it's an amazing experience. We, we don't know where it is, but we know what happened there because God has given us in his word. And, and, and I call this basic training at Cherith Ravine or, or basic training at Camp Cherith. And, and it was a time of extreme training. And I don't know about you, but, but when I think of extreme training, and, and, and I'm, I'm a child of the 80s, I was a, grew up in the 80s, and I think of one of the best movies of the 80s, Rocky IV. Uh, I, I don't know about you, but if you've ever seen Rocky IV, but it was a great movie. And you might say, well, why, does, why do you think of this? Well, there's a great scene in Rocky IV where Rocky goes to training. But if you know anything about Rocky IV, you know that uh, it, it's depicted in the 80s, and Rocky was, was a boxer, and he was retired. He was a world champion, and he was retired. He was enjoying the good life. He was enjoying all, all the success that he had in the boxing ring now. He was, he was retired and enjoying that. And, and in the 80s, there were, the Cold War was going on. It was the United States versus Russia. And, and in the movie, uh, what happened was uh, Russia had this great boxer by the name of Ivan Drago. Uh, and, and, and he was this great boxer. And, and so they, are, they arranged this exhibition boxing match with Rocky's good friend, Apollo Creed. And it was one of those things where just to kind of prove again and again, it was the Cold War. You know, we're better than Russia. You know, Russia's better than us. It was just one of those things, well, you know, hey, we have the better boxer than you do. And so they, they arranged this exhibition match. And, and, and if you saw the movie, you know that, that Ivan Drago was huge. He was this huge guy. And you know that, that he won the boxing match against Apollo Creed. As a matter of fact, he pummeled him. He beat him so bad that it actually Apollo Creed died in the boxing match. And Rocky was in the corner uh, of Apollo Creed's corner of this match, you know, helping to, to helping working in his corner, and, and Rocky saw all this happen. And he was proud of his country and proud of his friend, and he wanted to avenge this match. And so, so he accepted another invitation to fight Ivan Drago. Uh, he, he wanted to, to overcome that, and, 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 and so there's only one problem. He was retired. He wasn't in boxing shape. And so what did he have to do? He had to train. And if you know anything about the movie, you know that, that, you know, that, that the Cold War is a big deal. There was going to be all these people that followed, followed him around and watched him training. It would have been a media circus. So what did he decide? He decided to go to Russia in the middle of nowhere and train in a barn. That's where he wanted to go because he knew that he needed to get ready for this match. He knew, he knew that he needed to go hide and prepare himself. And you might say, well, that's a great story, Pastor Jonathan. What does it have to do with Elijah? Well, the thing that it has to do with Elijah is God told Elijah to go to, to, to Cherith to hide. Elijah is told to hide, and you see it in verses 2 and 3. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah, leave here, turn eastward, and hide in the Cherith ravine east of the Jordan. God wanted to work. God wanted Elijah to train. God wanted to, to prepare him. And so he sent him to Camp Cherith for a basic training experience, a spiritual basic training experience. And, and so he sent him to hide. And, and, you know, as quickly as, as Elijah comes onto the scene, he departs just as quickly. He's there, and then he's gone. At this point, Elijah was probably a little confused. I would have been confused. After all, God called me from the middle of nowhere, and he told me to go to the king, and he gave me the words to say, and then all of a sudden he tells me to leave. I would have been like, wait a minute, I'm a prophet. 
I should be out in public proclaiming your word, God. You know, what are you doing? Do you know what you're doing? And maybe he was wondering, hey, maybe God forgot about this whole deal. This was his idea. I mean, I, w- I was happy in the middle of nowhere, just, just minding my own business. And God gets a hold of me and sends me to the king, and now he wants to send me away to the middle of nowhere. But God tells Elijah to hide. And you might say, well, what, what does that mean? What does that mean to hide? And, and the Hebrew word for hide here means, it means this. It suggests the idea of concealment or being absent on purpose. God wanted Elijah to be absent on purpose. There was a purpose for Elijah to hide, and it was so God could work in Elijah's life. God wanted him to hide. In essence, uh, God tells Elijah to get away from all the things that satisfy your human pride and ego and go live in seclusion by the brook. God wanted him to hide. Now, I was, as I was thinking about this, I was thinking about playing hide-and-seek. If you've ever played hide-and-seek, uh, you know how it works. Someone hides and the other person seeks. Well, when God told Elijah to hide, it was a little bit different than hide-and-seek. Because when God tells Elijah to hide, he tells him to go hide so that he can seek. Go hide so that he can seek. Go hide so that he can seek his God and and connect with him and, and, and get away from everything and just communicate with his heavenly father. That's what God, God wanted Elijah to do. And, and one of the most difficult commands to hear and probably one of the most hardest commands to obey for us is to hide, to be absent on purpose, to be set aside, uh, to get away, to be alone, uh, to, to get away from the public spotlight. Uh, to drop back and purposely remain hidden is difficult. It's especially true if you're comfortable being up front. If you're comfortable being the outspoken one, if you've been given gifts of leadership and ability, we feel like, you know what, God wants us to be here in the middle of everything. That's why God gave me these gifts, so I, I, I can't be absent. If I'm absent, then what's God going to do? But that wasn't God's plan for Elijah. And you know what, it's, it's not his plan for us. He wants us to hide so we can seek him. He wants us to hide so we can seek him. So God tells Elijah to hide, and we talked about this. You know, he did this for two reasons. First of all, he wanted to protect Elijah. And, and the person he wanted to protect Elijah was from was King Ahab. Now, can you imagine? This guy from out of the nowhere comes before the king without invitation, and he tells, he tells the, the king that, you know what, there's going to be no rain because you're living in sin. If you were the king, how would you take that? That, that wouldn't be great words to hear. And so the king, you know, Elijah wasn't high on the king's, you know, the king's chart as it is. And then can you imagine as, the, as it didn't rain for a week or a month? And the longer it didn't rain, can you imagine how more and more upset King Ahab would have been with Elijah? God wanted to get Elijah away to protect him because he knew that Ahab would be looking for him. He knew that, that Ahab would want to get him and get rid of him. And so, so Elijah is told to hide for protection, but he is also told to hide for training. God wanted to train him to become a man of God. And as I was looking at chapter 17, it's interesting. If you look at the first verse in chapter 17, verse 1, we are, we are introduced to Elijah, and his, he is Elijah the Tishbite. 
That's how he's introduced. That's the guy that God used to be his spokesman to Ahab. If you jump forward to the end of the chapter, verse 24, Elijah is called a man of God. He's no longer the Tishbite. He is a man of God. And so how does Elijah go from the Tishbite to the man of God? It's the basic training that happened in Cherith. It's that experience that he had in Cherith that, that molded and shaped Elijah to be the man of God that God wanted him to be. That's why God wanted Elijah to hide. That's why it was so important for him to get away. Uh, th that's why it was part of God's plan. And so, so we see that, that Elijah was told to hide in verses 2 and 3. He was told to hide in verses 2 and 3. And then in verse 4 it goes on and it says this, You will drink from the brook, and I have ordered the ravens to feed you there. Not only is, 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 God, is Elijah told to go hide, but God promises to provide for Elijah. God, God promises that he will provide for Elijah. Elijah probably has questions. Okay, God, you want me to go here. How am I going to survive? I don't know. I don't know where I'm going. I don't know anybody there. How am I going to live? Uh, you know, this was going to be a difficult, lonely adventure for Elijah. It was kind of a survivor man experience. And I don't know about you, but, you know, all these shows that have these glamorous looks of these survivor man experiences or man versus wild with Bear Grylls, and he's out in the middle of nowhere, he gets dropped off in a helicopter, and, you know, he has to eat bark and, and, and like, you know, insects and dead animals that he finds along the way. I'm sitting there watching that thinking, this does not look, look like a great deal. I mean, I'm glad I can watch this in the comfort of my own home and get up and go to my refrigerator when I'm hungry because I'm not interested in going to look in the backyard for some bugs. But, um, you know, this was the kind of experience that Elijah was going for. It was a survivor man experience. You know, he was being dropped in the middle of nowhere. And, and God promises to Elijah, hey, I will provide for you. I know what you need. And, and, and God knew what he needed. And so he provides for him in two main ways. First of all, physically. He provides for his physical needs through winged catering service of ravens. Can you imagine that? His caterers were, had wings. I don't know about you. Have you ever been to a restaurant where they delivered your food by, by winged uh, 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 waiters? Uh, must have been a pretty cool sight. Elijah wakes up in the morning. He's looking in the sky trying to say, all right, where are they at? Oh, there they come. Uh, they're bringing my food. And so he, he has winged waiters that brings him food in the morning and the evening. And God provides for him a fresh, flowing brook to drink from. I mean, today, this is where all the people who bottled water would go to get our bottled water, right? To the fresh mountain stream. Uh, you know, th this is where they'd get it. And so God provides for his physical needs. Elijah doesn't have to worry about that. God says, you know what? Just go hide. I have you taken care of. I have your physical needs taken care of. But Elijah also provides for his spiritual welfare. God knew that Elijah needed silence and solitude to be part of his boot camp experience. He knew that he had to get away from the noise and the distractions of life so he could hear God's voice and allow God to prepare him for ministry. A.W. Pink said this, the prophet needed further training in secret if he was to be personally fitted to speak again for God in public. In essence, God told Elijah, you need to get out of the spotlight. You need to come away. You need to come hide because we have some work to do, Elijah. I got some work that I need you to, to, to need to do in your life. 
Uh, you need some more training. So, so God tells Elijah to hide. God promises to provide. And the next thing we see in verse 5, God speaks and Elijah listens. God speaks and Elijah listens. And as I was thinking about this, I was thinking again, being a child of the 80s, I was thinking of the good old E.F. Hutton commercial. You remember those commercials? I mean, I was a little kid and I thought this E.F. Hutton guy must have been a big deal because everybody listens to him because the tagline was this, when E.F. Hutton talks, people listen, right? And, and, and it was having to do with people's money and, fi- and financial th- things. And I was thinking, hey, this guy is super smart because, you know, being a kid at the time, watching all those commercials, thinking everybody listens to him. He's, he's got to be a super smart kind of guy if everybody listens to him. But you know what? We got someone who's greater than E.F. Hutton. And it's God. And when God talks, he wants us to listen. And that's what Elijah does here in verse 5. And so, so he, Elijah, did what the Lord had told him. He went to the Cherith Ravine, east of the Jordan, and stayed there. Isn't it amazing? Elijah obeys without a moment's hesitation. God unveils this, this unusual and crazy plan. He, tells, he brings Elijah to confront the king, and they says, go hide. And what does Elijah do? All right, I'm game. I'll do it. Whatever you say, God. He doesn't ask why. And in, in the NIV, the, the wording says this. He stayed there, talking about the Cherith Ravine or the Brook Cherith, and in the New American Standard says he went and lived there. He stayed there, he went and lived there. Do you notice that God wasn't talking about a short little hike? God wasn't talking about a weekend camping experience. God wasn't talking about a a week-long wilderness trip. And if you ask me, being the great outdoorsman that I am, the good thing about those trips, they have an end in sight. You know, that, that you know when you need to, you know, you know that, hey, I just need to make it till Friday. If I can live till Friday, I'm back in civilization and life will be great. Uh, there, there was no end in sight here with Elijah. I'll, uh, you know, God tells Elijah, go live there. Go live there. He wanted him to be there for an extended period of time, and Elijah wasn't really sure how long it was going to be. And, and some commentators think it was a few months up to maybe even a year that Elijah camped out at Camp Cherith by the brook. Almost a year. God says, go there. Settle there, live there. And Elijah says, I'm there. That's a pretty amazing obedience, isn't it? I can't can't imagine, you know, just all that he's been through and this whirlwind that he's been been involved in and all of a sudden God said, I changed plans. You know, I brought you from nowhere, put you in front of the king. Now I'm sending you to nowhere. And Elijah's like, all right, I'm game. Let's go. What an amazing, amazing man of faith. And, and, and as I was thinking about it, I was thinking this question, would we accept such an assignment from God with the same kind of immediate obedience? Would we say to God, if, this was, if we were in Elijah's shoes, yes, sir, whatever you say, I'm there. I'm there. You know, it's easy to become addicted to the public spotlight. It's easy to, and, Eli, and, and this position that, that God put Elijah could have went to his head and he could have said, you know what, I like being in front of the king. I, I, like, being the, I like being your spokesman guy. I like being, God, I like being the, the guy that everyone's talking about. That Hey, did you see this guy that came out of nowhere? 
now he's standing in front of the king. You know, Elijah said, I, I kind of like this deal. I don't want to go hide. But he didn't do that. You know, it's, it's so easy for us to neglect and ignore the need to pull back and regroup and to rethink and to renew our souls. You know, this morning I really believe that, you know, not only does God tell Elijah to go hide, but he wants us to go hide too. He wants us to go hide and spend some time with him. He wants us to pull away from, from all the things of this world and, and all the things that, that we're used to and just spend some, some alone time with him in prayer and with his word so that God can work on us. It's hard to step out of the spotlight. It's hard to step back and say, I can disappear. That's not how we're wired. But, God, but, but Elijah, Elijah goes without a moment's hesitation. And it goes on in verse 6 and tells us that God provides without a moment's hesitation. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. God provides without a moment's hesitation. I was thinking about this dining experience that Elijah had, and I was thinking about, you know, what's the nicest restaurant I've ever been to in my life? Dane and I were talking about this, and on our honeymoon, we went to this restaurant called Ventanas del Mar, and it was uh, Windows of the Sea or something like that. It was in Aruba, and it, and it was on this veranda overlooking this PGA golf course and, and, a, and a lighthouse in the ocean. And as we sat there, we had great service. I mean, we had great service, and it was a great time, and the sun was setting. It was, it, was, it was a really, really neat time. It was a great dining experience. And I was thinking about Elijah's dining experience. Talk about an incredible dining experience. In the morning, these birds bring him his food. And, and then all day, you know, and remember, Israel, you know, rain is stopping. You know, it's not going to rain, so drought is here. And all day, Elijah can sit by the brook and get a drink whenever he wants to of that cool, cold water. And then in the evening, those same ravens bring more food back. You know, talk about an incredible dining experience for Elijah. And the best thing was he didn't have to pay for it or tip. I mean, you know, God just provided. And, and, and um, you know, and so there he was. God provides without a moment's hesitation. Elijah says, I'll go, and God says, I'll provide. I, I'll take care of everything you need because this is where you need to be. God will take, every, take care of everything he needs because he was where he needed to be. And the same is true for us. When we listen to God and follow him and, 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 where we're, and, and go where we need to be, God will take care of all of our needs. God will take care of all of our needs. And so we see here that, that Elijah has this experience, and he's in this, at this boot camp experience, this spiritual boot camp, and he obeys God, and he goes without any questions, and God provides uh, without any hesitation. And life is good for Elijah, right? Life is going pretty well. You know, you know him and God are getting closer, and, the, and they're communicating, connecting, and, and he has enough to eat and enough to drink. And then we see verse 7. In verse 7 it says, Then sometimes later the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Uh, the brook broke. The brook broke. This, this, uh, this basic training experience, while difficult, you know, Elijah had what he needed, and all of a sudden it got a little more difficult. The brook dried up. And if you think about it, the brook was Elijah's physical lifeline. 
I mean, he, he couldn't live without water, and so water was important to him. And so I can imagine every day that he'd go and get some water, he'd, just, he'd pay attention to the water. He, he'd check it, it often to make sure it wouldn't run out. And I can imagine that over time he saw the stream get a little bit smaller and get a little bit smaller and get a little bit smaller until it becomes a little trickle. And all of a sudden one morning he got up, and I can, and I can imagine he was shocked when that little trickle was just a bunch of wet sand. And then that wet sand dried out, and it was a dried, cracked-up, parched stream bed. The, the, the brook had, had, had dried up. And as I was thinking about this and thinking about our own lives, you know what? We can't often, we can't always live by the, the, the bubbling brooks in life, can we? We can't often live by those bubbling and fast-flowing brooks. Uh, that only happens in fantasy movies. And what I mean by that is, you know what? When, when, when we say the brook dried up, it means that some hardships come. When I think about a brook drying up, I think about when it impacts our life, it's when difficulties come into our life. We can't always be living by the flowing brook. Sometimes difficulties happen. Sometimes our brooks dry up. And, 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 and when I was thinking about this time of extensive training and intensive testing, are required courses in God's character-building curriculum. Can I say that again? Times of extensive training and intensive testing are required courses of God's character-building curriculum. This was all part of the boot camp experience. God wanted and allowed that brook to dry up, so some difficulties came into Elijah's life. You know what? I think he does the same for us. I think he does the same for us. And I think that you know, you know, our brooks dry up sometimes. Think about your life. Think about, you know, when, when, about your life and, when, and look back when, at times when your own brook broke, when your brook dried up, when things were great, then all of a sudden something changed. And as I was thinking about this, I was thinking maybe it happens in some of these ways. Maybe, maybe it was your career or business. Some things were going great, and, and, and your business was going good, and your job was going good, and then all of a sudden tough times hit. Maybe you lost your job. Maybe you had to close your business. Um, and because of that, money's tight because the brook dried up. Maybe it's your health. Maybe you're always healthy and active and, and, you know, and, and, and could do anything and everything and never got sick, and then all of a sudden you got sick because your brook dried up. Maybe it was with your relationships. You've always had a great crew of people to do life with. And then all of a sudden, some of those closest and dearest friends start moving away or start abandoning you, and you feel alone and hurt because the brook dried up. When our personal brooks dry up, what's our natural response? God, why are you doing this to me? God, have you forgotten about me? God, do you know what you're doing why are you allowing this to happen? That, doesn't that happen when, when life gets tough in our lives? We, we start to question and act like God doesn't know what he's doing. But Elijah's brook dried up and our brooks dry up. And you know what? We need to remember that God is still in control. We need to remember Romans 8.28 that God works together for good for those who love him. And you know what? Oftentimes we forget the very next verse that Paul goes on to say. Uh, that, that, not, that, God, uh, that God works together for good for those who love him so that they would be, what? Conformed to the image of his likeness. 
we forget that last part of that verse. I wrote this in my notes. You see, it's the fire of trials that dry up our brooks and prepare us to be molded and shaped to be more and more like Christ. So oftentimes our natural response when our brook dries up is to cry out to God and say, why have you forgotten me? And we need to realize that, you know, in those times, God hasn't forgotten us. As a matter of fact, in those times, God intensely cares for us because he wants to mold and shape us. He wants to prepare us for something he has in store for us in the future. That's what he wanted to do with Elijah, and that's what he wants to do with us. And dried up brooks in no way cancel out God's perfect provisional plan. Matter of fact, you know what? Sometimes God uses those dried up brooks to make sure that his plan is our plan. That, that we're doing his plan. That we're not saying, hey God, you know what? I, I got this under control. I, I know what I'm doing. I'll do my own thing. He uses those dried up brooks to maybe bring our plan and his plan together and realize, I need to be doing God's, God's plan. And so here in, in, in Camp Cherith, and, and as the brook dried up, it reminds us, number one, that God gives and takes away. God gives and takes away. The God who gives water can withhold water. It's his sovereign rights. We, we get this idea that, you know what, if God has always done this, then we feel that he should always continue to do this. But God's in control, and we're not. It's his sovereign right to do whatever he wants to, because he knows what's best. And, 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 and when he takes something away, our natural tendency is to say it's not fair. It's not fair. And we forget that God's not in the business of fairness. If, if we want to talk about being not fair, then, then we shouldn't even have the opportunity to know him. That Jesus shouldn't have died on the cross for our sins because that wasn't fair. But God loved us enough that he provided a way for us to know, to, to, to know him. And, and God loves us enough that even in those difficult times, when he takes things away, he has our best interest in mind. He has our best interest in mind. God is still alive and well, and he knows what he's doing when the brook dries up. God is still alive and well, and he knows what he's doing when the brook dries up. So he gives and takes away. And the final thing here about from this, this dried up brook experience is God answers prayer. You know, the, the dried up brook was the direct result of Elijah's prayer. In James 5.17, we're told this. Elijah was a man just like us. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. The dried up brook was the very indication of the thing that Elijah was praying for was happening. He was praying that God wouldn't send rain on the land of Israel so that so they'd realize the error of their ways and repent. And when the brook dried up, it was a byproduct of that drought, of no rain coming. And so and so that was the result of his own prayer. And and he have you ever been there when, when you prayed out to God and said, Lord, make me a godly man or woman after your own heart. But in your, in, in, in your mind you're thinking, but, but don't make it hurt too much. But don't make it hurt too much. Or, or maybe you said this, Lord, strengthen my faith, but, but don't let me suffer too much. We've all bargained with God like that, wanting instant maturity without any kind of sacrifice. And that's not what God had in mind with Elijah. The, the brook dried up just, to, just to, to be another part of the molding and shaping of Elijah's life. Just a few lessons from, as we close up this morning, and as time is running out, just a few lessons from, from Cherith. And, and, and the first lesson is this. We must be willing to hide if we want to thrive. 
We must be willing to hide if we want to thrive. We need to practice the hidden life. And you know what? It is so hard. And we live in such a loud and fast-paced world with many, many things to do. The last thing we want to do is hide. The last thing I want to do is hide. But the hidden life that I'm talking about is finding that time and space to get away. To get away with our Heavenly Father. To, 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 to be in the Word and be in prayer. And it's just you and Him. If we want to thrive, we got to hide. We have to hide. We live in a world that doesn't operate the way that God wants it to operate, that, that is full of sin. And if we want to stand out and make a difference, we got to hide. We have to practice the hidden life. And, and the hidden life helps us overcome two main obstacles that we face in this world. The first one is pride. The first one is pride. God removes us from the spotlight so he can cut us down to size and help us to submit to him and his will. You know what, that, that, that's part of the process. That's part of this hidden life that we can get away so God can work on our pride. So he can cut us down to side, cut us down to size and make us submit to him. And the second thing that helps us overcome the obstacle is fear. The obstacle is fear. The loss of position, prestige, popularity, and privilege reveals our fear and our weakness. And it's there that God wants to replace that fear with faith in him. Because when he takes everything else away, he's the only thing that we have. He's the only thing that we have to cling to. And that's how he wants us to live our life. On a daily basis, totally dependent on him for everything. So it, the first lesson is this. We must be willing to hide if we want to thrive. Second lesson is this. God's direction includes God's provision. God's direction includes God's provision. When God directs, God will provide. It's very simple. When God directs, God will provide. We can listen to him and do what he wants because we know that he will provide. He provided for Elijah during that, that difficult experience in Cherith. He gave him food and he gave him uh, you know, the things that he needed physically and the things that he needed spiritually. God's direction also always provides, God always has God's provision. And as I was thinking about this, I was thinking about, I was thinking about this. God doesn't want to provide for our wants or what we think we need. God always provides our needs. God, God, God doesn't want to provide for our wants or what we think we need. He will always provide what we need. And that's an important lesson that we need to realize. The third lesson is this. We need to trust God one day at a time. Isn't it amazing that Elijah here was just told the next step. The big plan wasn't unraveled before him. It was just, God just said, hey, go to Cherith. When you get there, I'll provide for you. When the brook dried up, God gave him a different plan. But God didn't give that all at once. He just gave him a little bit at a time. And, and, and he, just wanted, uh, he just wanted Elijah to, to trust him one day at a time. And we need to do the same. We need to do the same and realize that we just need to trust God for today. You know, he will provide for us our needs, so we just need to trust him today. Tomorrow can worry about itself. We can't do anything about yesterday. We just need to work for today. And the final lesson that, that we need to realize is a dried-up brook is a sign of God's repairing or preparing, not his despairing. A dried-up brook is, is a sign of God's repairing or preparing, not despairing. And if you miss this, you miss the morning. Uh, you, you missed the whole morning and the whole point that I want to talk about, uh, that I wanted to talk about this morning. So many times we think when the brook dries up, 
that it's, it's a sign of God's judgment or that he's unhappy with us. And that is so not the case. When our brook dries up, we need to realize that God cares so much about us that he wants to work on us. He, he wants to prepare us for the next mission. He wants to prepare us for what he has in store for us next. And so when our brook dries up, God is repairing. He is preparing us. Uh, we, we shouldn't be despairing. All hope is not lost because God is taking us through the refinement process. God is working on us and, and molding and shaping us to be the type of people that he, wanted, that he wants us to be. And you know what? The only way that you can respond to difficulties like that with, with, a, with a positive attitude and realize, you know what, God? You know, my brook has dried up, but you know what? You're at work. All hope is not lost. You're at work, and I'm going to trust you for that. The only way that we can respond like that is if we practice the hidden life, if we consistently spend time with him. Because if we don't have that in place, when difficult times come, we won't have anything to lean on because our faith won't be developed. Our, our, our faith will be pretty weak. And, 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 and so God wants us on a daily basis to, to pr practice that hidden life. So when the difficulties come, when the brooks dry up, we can say, you know what, God? I'm ready. I'm ready for whatever you're going to do in my life. I'm ready how you're going to mold and shape me into who you want me to be. And, and, and I trust you. I trust that you know what you're doing. I was reading a, Zachary a Bible story last night, the story of Joseph. And as I was reading this, I love the story of Joseph. And because I think Joseph is an amazing guy. And as I was reading the story of Joseph, I, uh, and you know the story, you know that he was sold by his brothers into slavery. His brook dried up. What, God, what, what they meant for harm, God meant for good, and he rised up through the house of Potiphar and was in charge of everything. And then Potiphar's wife took a liking to him and lied about him, and he was thrown in jail. His brook dried up. Eli, uh, Joseph didn't lose faith. He didn't lose heart, and, and he continued to trust God. He rose up through the, the ranks in the jail, and, and finally he got an audience with the king to interpret a dream with Pharaoh. And Pharaoh liked it so much, he put him in charge of, of, of getting ready for this, this famine that, that was going to come. He was, became the prince of Egypt, the most powerful man in the world. It would have been very easy for Joseph to say, you know what, God, you have forgotten me, forget you, when his brooks dried up multiple times, but he didn't. And i got to believe he didn't because he practiced the hidden life. He, 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 had, he had a close connection with God, and he knew that what other people meant for harm, God meant for good. And he was just going to trust him one day at a time. And God used Joseph to not only deliver the land of Egypt, but to deliver his fam family from famine. What a, what a hero of the faith that Joseph was because he practiced the hidden life and because he realized when his brook dried up, God had not forgotten him. He was just working on him. What a great encouragement for us this morning. Let's pray. Father, thank you for, thank you for your, your love for us. Thank you for this example for us. And Lord, you know more than anything that. I needed to hear this so much this morning because it's so easy to, to lose faith. It's so easy to, uh, when things don't go the way we think they should, to, to say, God, what are you doing? You know, have you forgotten me? And, and it's so easy to, to be so 
consumed by the busyness of stuff that we don't practice the hidden life. That we don't take time to spend with you and, and to connect with you and to grow in our relationship with you and, and, and communicate with you, Lord. And, and Lord, we know that if we don't do that, when, uh, when difficult times come, when our brooks dry up, Lord, it's, it's going to be difficult for us to, to praise you in those difficult times. Uh, to trust you that you know what's going on and, and, and to welcome this as, as just another opportunity for us to be molded and shaped into the men and women that you desire us to be. Father, I pray that whatever we might be facing today and, and, and whether our brook is drying up or things are going well, Lord, that you would help us, help us to practice the hidden life and help us to trust you and realize that no matter what situation or difficulty we might be facing, that you love us, that you care about us, and that you're still at work in us, that you want to work on us so that you can use us for your honor and glory. In Jesus' name.